Blanco on the normal radio. Free weed. Free weed. Oh, yo. Danny Danko come to show you how it grows. You're now tuned in to Free Weed from Danny Danko on normal radio. Presented by High Times Magazine. See me, I say, boom, bang. Big respect. See me, I say, Danny Danko. All right, yes, episode 41, and thanks as always to DJ Jacques and Winstrong for the tune, the Free Weed song. Thanks, guys, and check them out on SoundCloud and uh, everywhere else you can get them because they make great, great music. This is episode 41 of High Times Presents Free Weed from Danny Danko. It is indeed, yes, and, uh, you know, for those of you who have attended our uh, medical cannabis cups in the States, you know that we do live free weeds, and occasionally we bring them to you in podcast form, and that is what we are going to do for episode 41, right? Yeah, this is a live free weed. We taped it in uh, Richmond, California at the 4th Bay Area Medical Cannabis Cup that we just did out there uh, a month or so ago, and yeah, we had a great panel, so uh, great group of guests a nice crowd even the uh uh double rainbow guy made an appearance at that panel yes you will hear in this uh this episode dan actually shouting out the double rainbow guy during the seminar which was pretty cool so. <laughs> yeah yeah and it was fun in that big huge building um with all that natural light pouring in anyone who's there uh will remember the scene so uh yeah and we had a great group of growers on that panel that and uh, also buyers on that panel uh, so yeah, well, yeah. and if you're interested in attending a live free weed, we'll, we will be doing it again uh, in September in Seattle, right? September 7th? Yes, September 7th and 8th, actually. I'm doing a panel on both days with different growers on each day, and we're going to have an emphasis on indoor and then an emphasis on, on outdoor and, and, you know, really try to get to the nitty-gritty of uh, both styles of growing, indoors, outdoors, greenhouses, uh, hydro, soil, everything. So... Uh, yeah, we get an extra long amount of time to do it in Seattle, so we're excited about that. Uh, I'll be at HempFest in Seattle. If any of the listeners are at Seattle HempFest later this month in mid-August, I'll be there uh, speaking from some stages. We'll have a High Times booth. Hopefully, I'll have some of my books with me and stuff. Um, so come up and say hi, for sure, at Seattle HempFest. Shout out to uh, at the Power Pen, the Vape Pens, who are our sponsor, at Gorilla Seed Bank, the Seed Bank, who is our sponsor, and at BCNL420, uh, BC Northern Lights, our Growbox sponsor. So check them out on Twitter and Instagram and everywhere. Uh, the social network thingies are happening. Okay, well said. Yeah, <laughs> take a look at the social media. Follow thingies. us on SoundCloud. We only have like twelve hundred followers on SoundCloud. Yeah, and Dan. Dan stormed into my office earlier. He's irate. <laughs> he, uh, he's furious that we don't have more SoundCloud followers. And I agree. Why? Why don't we have yeah. more? So follow us there, and yeah. we'll we'll try to interact more with people on there too, and uh, follow people back. And, now, are, and are there benefits to following us on SoundCloud? What What would one uh, hope to accomplish by doing that? I don't know, you know, I just want people to follow us there. And it's soundcloud.com slash hightimesmag. You just want people to follow us. Yeah, well, I guess, uh, you know, hopefully they would get a notice when a new free weed goes up. So this is more, this is like a a status thing. You want to be able to tell people you have X amount of followers on SoundCloud. 
I guess so. I yeah. mean, we, we live. Well, that's, we, a, that's fine. Our podcast know? lives there. Let me, let me say this. I have a, a, a podcast outside of this one. It's called the, the High Times News Hit. And that was a shameless plug. You can listen to it at hightimes.com slash news hit. Anyway, um, I have like five <laughs> followers on SoundCloud. So you blow me out of the water on that. Okay. Yeah. Well, I want a half a million. Half a mil. Yeah. You have a lot of Twitter followers. Doesn't that make you sleep better at night? <laughs> My goodness, sir. But yeah, so, okay. To follow uh, Freeweed on SoundCloud, just go to uh, SoundCloud, and I guess there's a little heart. No, that's like. How do you follow people there? Uh, you go to their profile. So you, profile. you would follow High Times Magazine. And then, okay, uh, all you, right. and then you're, I think then you get the news hit, you get Jen's music stash. And no, you get, no, no, they're on different channels. Because, oh. uh, well, I won't get into the technical aspects, but, um, but yeah, the High Times channel is just for free weed, which yeah. is pretty cool. And I follow anyone who writes a nice review on iTunes and puts their Twitter or Instagram name in that review because that helps us out a bunch on iTunes. It does indeed. Okay, so uh, marijuana. Follow, <laughs> follow us on SoundCloud, <laughs> um, like us on Facebook. And I guess enjoy the seminar? Yeah, enjoy the seminar. And I think uh, you guys will be happy with the, the guests and the information. And like us, like us uh, comment, share. Comments are important because we, uh, we want to know what you want to see on, or hear, I guess, on this show. So, you know, give us some feedback, positive or negative. And if it's negative, we'll ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So without further ado... Uh, here is the Grow Seminar from Richmond. Welcome to a live recording of Free Weed from Danny Danko. Yeah, welcome, welcome. Thank you all for coming out. We're really excited to be here in the Bay Area. This is our fourth cup here in the Bay Area. It's beautiful here. Yeah, we love it. We love this venue. Isn't this amazing, these views and uh, nice and spacious. We love it here. Yeah, we, we actually started doing these live Free Weed recordings in Seattle last year. We do five cups a year now for High Times, and now we're completing the cycle with this one. So we're happy you could be here with us. And, uh, you know, without further ado, to steal your line, <laughs> let's introduce this incredible cultivation panel. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to start at the end uh, with Kay from Tricom Technologies. He's had gardens in High Times uh, since time immemorial. Some of the best uh, grow rooms we've had in the magazine. Uh, Tricom Technologies, he was also on the DAB panel, of course, because he's an expert in the science of concentrates, but also of growing, and growing on a large scale, which is something that's happening more and more often now, but he's a pioneer of that, so thank you, Kenny uh, Kay from Tricom. Uh, next to him, another legend, DJ Short, creator of the Blueberry Strain and the Flow Strain and many others, Old Time Moonshine, uh, longtime breeder, uh, very, very in tune with the cannabis plant and breeding techniques as well. And so thank you very much, DJ Short. All right. Next to him, uh, someone we've had on the panels before, it's Rick Frommer from Harborside Health Center. He is 
He is the buyer for Harborside. He's the one that decides what they're going to purchase and provide for their patients and what they're going to reject. He's and got the job that Danko really wants, <laughs> this guy. He's got a great uh, job that's uh, made possible by the great work of Steven D'Angelo and Andrew D'Angelo, who we have here. So many pioneers in the crowd right now. Mel Frank, Todd McCormick. Shout out to you guys. I saw Mickey Norris and Chris Conrad. Love you guys. Um, so, uh, Rick Frommer, purchaser, buyer for Harborside, and uh, longtime cannabis activist as well. Uh, a lot of people don't, may not know, but he's been involved with cannabis activism since the late 80s uh, and continues on now as, in his job at Harborside. So, thank you very much, Rick. <laughs> to his left, a mentor of mine, uh, big time. He was the cultivation reporter at High Times Magazine when I started there and taught me a ton of things and, and actually convinced me that I could actually do the job myself uh, before he moved out west. So it's he, his fault. We have you to blame <laughs> for this. I see. <laughs> Mr. Kyle Cushman. Uh, yeah. He discovered the uh, strawberry cough strain. He's been breeding out here. Uh, he's working with Buds and Roses, uh, Vega Matrix, a uh, uh, veganic type of cultivation process. And he's even got a, a new product coming out that's going to make it a lot easier for people to grow veganically, which is something we'll talk about a little bit later on. So thank you, Kyle Cushman. <laughs> to his left. A surprise guest we have, uh, a multiple Cannabis Cup winner in both the Sativa and Indica categories now. Uh, we have Scott from Rare Dankness Genetics. So, <laughs> right now it's SNA. He's repping DNA right now. Because <laughs> uh, Don couldn't be here. He's in Amsterdam with the fam. So, uh, and last but not least, we have Aaron from DNA Genetics. These guys have won pretty much every Cannabis Cup they've entered uh, in the last decade. They're celebrating a decade now, right, of uh, breeding some of the most amazing strains and really uh, combine the old school and the new school in ways that has really revolutionized the breeding world uh, as clearly evidenced by their many awards. So <laughs> I have tasted almost all the Cup winners and I got to say I can co-sign that. So thank you very much, Aaron. All right, let's hear it for this panel. Yeah. Who knew we'd be opening for Wu-Tang Clan? <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> Scott's going to freestyle a little bit. But uh, yeah. Um, so we're going to get right into it. We're going to talk about uh, cultivation. Uh, most of the gentlemen here know a lot about it, so we're going to get into a bit of the, uh, the details and the minutiae, but we're going to start with just some basics. Um, I'm going to start with Aaron. Uh, Aaron, what, what does it take to grow cannabis cup winning bud? Not just genetics, but what, how, how is it grown? What, what's the processes? Somebody who loves the plant. <laughs> okay, so you start uh, with the love of the plant. Start with the love of the plant. Uh, Try not to ever, I don't know, it, for us it's about selection and then, what was the question again? <laughs> How do you grow cup winning pot? I mean, if you have the genetics, okay, someone has bought a 10 pack from you, they've chosen a nice mother plant, uh, they've learned how to clone from their female mother plant. Now, the question is, 
what do they do to get to a level where they have connoisseur quality herb? Well, I think uh, never over fertilizing your plant and never over watering your plant is a very important thing to do because both those things will fuck up a lot of time mm -hmm. in the grow cycle. Uh, if you get past that, it's just keep your EC, keep your pH in check all the time. Love your plant, you know? If, Spray preventively with organic, with organic pesticides, organicide, uh, GC mite, something organic. Mm -hmm. It's certified also. And uh, make sure you don't just cut your plant down if you just sprayed it, because we don't want to smoke your sprayed buds. <laughs> you know, but um, definitely giving the plant love and flushing mm -hmm. at the right. end. You know, a, you know, a solid two weeks flush will make your flowers taste better, the burn better. Um, also a nice cure. Uh, mm -hmm. Some people on the panel might disagree with the way we cure, but it, you know, it's one cup, so we'll do it our way. We all get to the same end point with great flowers. Right. Um, you know, we like, to, we like to let it hang for two weeks before we even put a scissors on the plant. And we trim dry and any crystals that fall off, we collect. You know, dry sift is one of the best things that comes from trimming. Mm -hmm. So, and yeah, and just uh, a good cure. And let it sit for a week, open, close. And then if it burns right and the stems break, people see it. And then you're ready to put it in the jar. Yeah, I mean. And really pull some of that moisture out, the some, last bits of it. Yeah, some of the cups literally have really the, the crop got cut down two, three weeks before the cup and we had to rush it, mm -hmm. you know, but at the end of the day, you've seen the buds, they weren't trimmed <laughs> and they came in second. Right. Uh, I, it's interesting what you say about overfeeding and overwatering because it seems to be one of the biggest problems that people have with their gardens and overfeeding in particular. They think, hey, if I give it more food, it'll grow bigger, but there's a a real diminishing return that you get when you overfeed and you start getting those burnt tips. It's very difficult to bounce back from that. You really got to flush everything out and start with basically uh, inert soil again. And it, it really, it can take weeks off of your cycle of just no growth happening in your plants. So especially if you you don't know you're overfeeding your plant. Yeah, and it can look like a, a deficiency sometimes. Yeah, well, at first, they'll, you know, you see that perfect, as we would call it, as Don and I would call it, or maybe S and <laughs> A, I don't know. But uh, I'd call it the perfect burn, because you get that initial teeny burn on the leaf, and then you back away, right. and you know about it, you know? And so you've gone to the limit, and then you pull and back. You, and you pull back, so you don't just lock the plant out, and then you're just giving it water Come and it's on, not Danny, drinking you know any what water. That, you know what that's called back in the old school? <laughs> Greenhouse burn. Greenhouse burn, right. You remember? Right. <laughs> yeah. I taught them that back, back, what they do when they do when they're shipping out thousands of plants for greenhouse and nursery use, they pump them up with food. They pump them up with food to the point where like maybe the eighth of the tip of the leaf gets burnt. So they call that greenhouse burn. That way they know when it gets shipped out to Rite Aid and it sits out on the sidewalk and gets nothing but hose water for the next two weeks, it's still going to live. It can travel. So what I think what they were getting at, what I want to point out, what you want to do when you're initially learning how to grow, it's what I call learning the language of the plants. And yes. in order to do that, what you have to do is you have to push the plant to its extreme. If you don't ever let a plant wilt, 
how are you going to know when it really needs to be watered? If you don't ever burn a plant a little bit with nutrients, how are you going to know it couldn't take more nutrients? So the theory not being that you always want to be pumping them up as much as they possibly can, but you want to at some point early in your grow, uh, grow life, you want to learn these limits by experiencing these, 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 these symptoms with the plant. All Very right. well said. And uh, Scott, I want to ask you in particular uh, about feeding sativas because that's a particular thing that uh, a lot of sativas tend to be finicky uh, and they have a longer flowering time so you do have to adjust somehow to that. What, what are some particular uh, things that you need to know about when you're feeding a longer flowering sativa plant? Well, mainly that whatever you're feeding is going to be building up over a longer time. So uh, I always suggest, you know, feeding uh, m more minimalistic instead of pushing the plant to its max. Uh, you know, keep it on that edge of, you know, happiness and, uh, and not necessarily going to that burn stage. Um, you know, most sativas like really, really loose, airy soil. A lot of people like to make real heavy, you know, heavy substrates, which that can stress the plant out. Uh, and the biggest thing is light. You know, most people for indoors don't, don't give sativas enough light, enough uh, watts per square foot. Um, outdoor, those plants are getting, you know, tons and tons of lumens from the sun. And indoors, you know, you got to be real careful with, uh, uh, you know, making sure you prune out the bottoms of them and spread the plant out so you, you're getting good sunlight all the way from top to bottom. Cool. I have yeah, a... yeah, don't veg it too long at all. No. <laughs> yeah, and I got, I got a tip for growing sativas also. Um, definitely don't switch to your bloom fertilizer as soon as you switch to flowering. Mm-hmm because sativas are gonna grow for another two, three, maybe even four weeks. By growing, I mean they're actually gonna grow vegetation, the leaves are gonna get larger, the stems are gonna get thicker. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to produce chlorophyll, then you wanna make sure you keep the nitrogen up. So right. what I generally do is, I, for the first, the first week of all my plants, I feed my full strength veg formula right into the, through the first week of flowering. For sativas, I considering I consider continuing that full-strength veg for two weeks. I, can, I, I, look, I gauge it by the, 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 the bud development, flower by the formation. flower development. Mm -hmm. If it's still very, very sparse, then I'll continue another week with the, with the veg formula, which, of course, has some phosphorus in it. If they're starting to cluster, then you switch over to a transition formula, which is 50% of your veg, 50% of your bloom formula. All right. Uh, question for Rick as far as... Uh you, you see a lot of dried cannabis in your job. What, what are the determining factors that help you decide whether to, to accept it for sale at Harborside or reject it uh, as un, uh, you know, unsaleable for you guys? Um, I would echo what Aaron said about curing um, very strongly. It's actually very rare at Harborside or anywhere in, in California that you actually see cannabis that's really truly cured. Um, most people will do go through that 10 day to two week drying process and then sell it as fast as possible. And, and so it has that electric green filled with chlorophyll kind of look that a lot of younger smokers and, and even a lot of uh, uh, anybody doesn't really even recognize that what they're looking at is, is dried cannabis, but not cured cannabis. Um, so that would be one of the first things. If somebody actually brings in herb that's got those beautiful golds and reds and 
other colors um, other than electric green, uh, and that would be something that jumps right out. Probably mostly uh, what we like to call trichomes per square inch also. Um, the amount of crystal coverage that a strain has got on it. You know, two people growing the exact same strain will obviously get very different results, and especially in a strain like OG or something that's more finicky and hard to grow. Um, the people that have really nailed it are the ones that have got just, you know, a wonderful covering of trichomes all over the whole thing. Um, so, you know, that's probably the first visual things that pop out would be uh, amount of trichomes, um, visual appeal, obviously the smell. Uh, experienced cannabis person can tell from smelling, um, you know, we, we have kind of a joke in the industry uh, about being able to smell GH really easily. Um, you know, it's got a particularly like salty kind of really soury, salty kind of smell to it. Um, so, you know, the fl again, flushing, um, absolutely critical. Uh, I think people have gotten a lot better about flushing, but curing is still something that um, is a long way to come. And, and curing's an art, too, at the end of the day. There's a lot of um, elements that go into curing that just uh, aren't really easy to write down and bullet point and say, that if you do this, you're going to wind up with top flight cannabis. Um, yeah, but it's, I, you know, I think it also has to do with people are, you know, who are growing you know, four to five pounds. It's, it's a little easier to cure than if they're growing, let's say, oh, 50 yeah, to man. 100. Let, let, let me tell you, from one guy who's been a small garden personal grower for a long time, man, stepping up to these big grows, are, it, it's a whole different animal. And right. uh, uh, yeah. Well, that actually brings us to Kay from Tricom, who uh, actually works as a consultant on a lot of these larger uh, situations. So I'd like to ask you about, a little bit about limiting factors as you go from let's say a four light or an eight light room to a much larger sort of a warehouse type grow, uh, what are the things you have to consider in, in proportion to making sure that that works out? Well, first and foremost, it has to do with the mindset of just large scale cultivation in your practices where the, from the start of the door, from your decontamination processes, how you're gonna treat your air, how you're gonna treat your water, everything else. You're, you're building a facility for long-term survivability. You can't have this thing infected with anything from the water or the air. So you've got to decontaminate the, the employees' clothes when they come in, everything else. So, you know, the, uh, the mindset, first and foremost. Mm -hmm. And then as far as, uh, like, HVAC stuff, cooling a room. Absolutely. Huge HVAC systems. Going to the HEPA filter stage, so you get any kind of powdery mildew spores, any kind of powder, uh, spider mites, you know, any kind of bacteria out of the air, as well as sterilizing your water, uh, ROing the water, then mixing it 50-50 so you can apply it, oxygenating everything else. That's your basic foundation with these things is love, care, attention to details, mm -hmm. paperwork, calculating everything, figuring out a, a, a fail-safe plant. You know, not just going and building a large-scale pot garden, you know? What would you say the average price uh, to build a, a warehouse grow room to those kind of specifications are? Depending on the conditions. I mean, it's different from, say, Denver than it is Phoenix, Arizona. I'm currently building a 58,000-square-foot uh, facility in, in Arizona, and it's like growing on the sun. You're going to have 115-degree days. We're sucking in air off the top of the building at 135. You can't take that air and just simply distribute it into 15 rooms. You got to centralize the air, bring it into one room, a long room. You got to bring it down to a, you know, a baseline temperature, a baseline humidity that's filtered everything else and then feed it into the other rooms with a minor condition and stuff. So good reason to build that solar generator in the middle of the Arizona <laughs> desert. 
You've got a nuclear power plant not too far from there, yeah? <laughs> okay, well. Now, uh, as far as uh, soil uh, uh, mediums in which to grow, I mean, what's an ideal medium when you have to grow that many plants in that large of a space? Well, you're really at the mercy of the, the, the soil manufacturers at that point. I mean, they can, they, they can sell you anything. So in this new world of, of large-scale facilities, you can call and deal direct with the manufacturer. You can ask him for a sterility report, for, for just a, a, an analysis. You can have it quarantined, sent to you, reanalyzed before you put it into your facility. And if it does come up infected, you're going to have it sent back to the manufacturer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in, as we, you know, California, uh, or as Colorado, as Washington, as Arizona, you know, tip towards legality and have large scale production going on. Whether you like it or you don't, it is going to take place. So, yeah. you know, that's the interesting thing is now that we're going into real world, we have recourse. We can, we can deal with regular large scale companies as a regular large scale company. Mm -hmm. Can I just jump in for a second and say that something just seems the inherent ridiculousness of growing herb indoors in, in Arizona and having to like <laughs> heat, cool down entire rooms from 135 degrees, it just seems, uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, isn't, isn't, isn't ultimately the, the way to grow this plant at, at, at the cheapest cost Absol for the greatest return is going to be inside a greenhouse uh, that's climate controlled so you can use the sun when you've got it and you can add to it when you don't and that way you're not uh, you know because growing indoors is not a very eco-friendly or green kind of thing to do uh, that's fine but you know i'm an american and if i want to eat a steak i'm going to eat a steak and if i want to grow indoor and smoke indoor marijuana i'm going to do it and i'm going to expect right. my legislators to figure out a way to grow clean energy okay uh, all right so we but, can but, convert solar energy into light <laughs> that you can use indoors. <laughs> There's lots of frivolous activities going on from people burning fuel to go ride motorbikes out in the desert. Right. You know, it, lots of things are frivolous, you know, right. and I wouldn't consider my marijuana cult, uh, cultivation frivolous. Right. I'm just standing up for indoor cultivation. But ultimately, you're correct. In Israel, we produce in greenhouses large scale for 50 cents a gram. Right. So this is the laws that were put forth by the state of Arizona. We have to produce indoors. Mm -hmm. We would love to go to a large scale greenhouse, and that's ultimately what, what, what our design is, and then ultimately use that large scale facility just to produce stage ones, twos, and fill the greenhouse. Hey there, hope you're enjoying episode 41 and uh, learning some stuff from that grow panel. I just wanted to interrupt for a moment to tell you about one of our sponsors. And this is a great one. This is a vape pen sponsor called Power Pen. These guys have the most affordable pen I have found at $50. They, they come in black or white. Uh, you can check them out yourself at powerpen.com. It's actually power-pen, P-O-W-E-R dash pen.com they've got uh, a great instagram which is power pen uh look them up on instagram to see lots of pictures of their stuff these come in black and white like i said they're 50 dollars, and they have a special deal for free weed listeners if you put the code high times all capital letters uh no spacing high times use that promo code you will get free shipping so literally a $50 vape pen. Thank you very much to PowerPen, our new sponsor. So check them out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and be sure to tell them that Free Weed sent you.
right. Well, I would also be remiss if I did not ask DJ Short about breeding. So uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, what it takes, let's say, to get... Uh, you found a great strain, and now you want to stabilize it. Are, are you back-crossing it? What, 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 what can you do to keep it? Well, around? I was in a fortunate position myself because the... A uh, bag seed that I used to produce what I did was from, you know, land race, region of origin uh, uh, varieties, which were Highland Thai, Chocolate Thai, Highland Oaxacan, and the Afghan. Now, in my situation, I was fortunate in, in first of all, the, the samples that came to me that I was working with, but to have these very different indica and sativa lines. Um, the history of cannabis, you know, it's its first ventures around the world were on foot. Um, after that, it was sailors in, in boats taking things to different regions. Uh, in 1978 was a very strange year, a fortunate year, in that both HID lighting became commercially available and domestically the indica genes uh, showed up. And that's what I had uh, available to me back then. Now, when you have two very different P1s, P1 is the first parental uh, generation, and you cross those, your F1 generation or your first filial generation is um, uniform, very uniform, uh, something in between the, the two, two plants. Now, when you cross those two F1s with themselves out into the F2s, you begin to see the diversity, extreme diversity. So it's from there, it was in the F2s that I began to find, say, a berry flavor. Uh, you could do orange flavors, any different various flavors, different structures, and then work them out by selecting uh, males and females that represent that well and somewhat harden those traits as you go out. Now, as far as I the... thought you just add cherry syrup to the water. <laughs> Blueberry juice, man. You know. yeah. um, no, I, uh, the whole additives thing, I just, you know, go for it if you want, but I want to know what's in the plant, not other things that I'm putting in there. Um, so my situation was somewhat unique. Now, nowadays, you know, you're going out and pretty much 99.9% .9 of the genetics available, my own included, are hybrids. There are no really pure sativa or pure indica. They're out there. Uh, the pure sativa in particular uh, can be somewhat boring when grown indoors. They don't match up to their land race potential. They always seem to come down generationally. Um, so it, it, it's tough to work with. Um, now, you hear also, I like the little side note on that, is back in the day, you know, you hear about the great sativa that were around, but in all honesty, just so you know, back in the 70s, the bulk and majority of the pot, the Colombian, the Mexican that was going around was just bunk. It was dirt weed. It was the mafia loads coming in 100 tons at a time. The really primo stuff came from groups like the Brotherhood of Eternal Love. Those were coming in roughly about eight tons. Uh, at a time, so much smaller boutique growing for that really, really fine stuff. So just so you know, you know, you hear all these old timers like myself ranting and raving about the great old sativa, but in all honesty, most of them, we called it dirt weed, the Colombian, and it was like clots of dirt with seeds in it. I mean, sea grade if you were lucky, you know, so I don't know if I answered the question. Yeah, absolutely. What and I got from that was 
hybrids. Can't yeah. live with them, can't live without them. <laughs> sure. But we, we, we can do selective work, you know, right. and, and start pulling out the, the characteristics that we do like and enjoy. So there's a lot, a lot to do. Yeah. And a lot of that also involves, I guess, traveling around to land race, land race regions to where... Well, again, I was lucky. Uh, they came to it me. Came it to was you. during an era, the end of the 70s, beginning of the 80s. The last good imported sativa I saw was 1982. It was actually from a 1981 crop. Reagan came in and kind of upset the party a little bit. Now, <laughs> the, the, the best hash stopped about 85, 86, and I think that coincided with the uh, Russian invasion of Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Yes. Uh, but now, I will say, I have to say, herb, I'm much more into hash than I am into herb. Okay. Um, now, domestically, if you compare everything we're doing with the tropics, you know, we're B grade at best as far as herb goes. That Oaxacan that I'm trying to replicate, that was A-grade herb. And I can't, it's so hard to attempt to describe how, how wonderful that stuff was. Once, once we do get to sample it, uh, you'll know. Now, I have to say, though, uh, we are coming closer to producing A-grade hash. But you have to remember, the Afghans, the Nepalese, the Lebanese, the Moroccans, they have thousands of years on us, <laughs> all right? They, they know what they're doing. Let's bring some of them. Let's sponsor the Hashish Babar <laughs> to come over and help us do this right. right <laughs> nice. Uh, one other thing, you mentioned that you use that Highland Thai and some of those uh, Southeast Asian genetics, which a lot of people tend to say have a, a, herma a hermaphroditic tendencies. How do you, you work around that or work that out of the, those Southeast Asian kind sure, of varieties? Sure, a couple generations of very you know, strict um, selection work indoors, and we can pretty much get rid of that. But I have to say, all of the sativa, the great sativa, these ones that I'm talking about, they were all hermaphrodites, and they were all at least somewhat seeded. Um, I prefer the effect from seeded herb to sensimium. I just find it to be a little broader, uh, subtly uh, broader uh, cannabinoid profile is how I like to put it. Uh, I just think the plant is more satisfied. And you, you don't have to pollinate the whole plant. You can dust a lower limb and that reaction will take place in the plant and you can note that subtle difference. All of the great hashes too, from what I've gathered, were uh, from seeded herb. It's field run pot. and. Uh, so there's, there's something to be said there. Plus, there's value in the seed as well, not just for the genetics, but nutritional oils, all those kinds of great things. Okay. Um, let's talk about an issue I've been hearing a lot lately, which is powdery mildew. It's kind of a plague out here. We get it out, out east as well. Uh, um, what do you guys over here maybe think, uh, what are some ways to either avoid it or if you've got it, to deal with it? Um, I use a product called Organicide, and I look at it as a preventative thing to use. Um, I've heard of people using Eagle 20 uh, before they go into flower. It's another... Is yes, it something you missed a, on? It's a spray product. Okay. Um, um, we should mention powdery mildew is a, like a white fungus that grows. It, it, it's airborne, so it's, not, it's very difficult to uh, prevent, basically. It's also in... I mean, I, some plants tend to have it. Have it in, in, in their in, genes. In their genes or something, because <laughs> they just 
It's like it just grows it, right it, off their stem. It's like herpes. But it's also, it's like, it's like bread mold. It's everywhere, and it just takes a while. Um, if your plant can fight it off, I think, you know, if you use a com aerated compost tea and things like that, a living soil, um, ways to sort of combat and fight it uh, in that way. You can foliar your feed with oxygenated compost tea. It's always a good, a good bet to sort of add a protective layer, but you still might get powdery mildew. So. Yeah, it's... it's it's not, it's everywhere, you know, mm -hmm. it's not only in the United States, it's in Europe too. We have, in Europe there's mildew, we have super mites that the best chemicals in the world can even, they'll, they'll swim through that shit. It seems like some people over yeah. there are breeding mites more than they're hey. breeding yeah. pot. There's a, there's a new strain. They're like crossing the mites and making stronger mites. Yeah, no, there's a new strain of mite going around that's being colloquially referred to as the Mendo mite. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure many people here are familiar with it. It's basically a spider mite on steroids, <laughs> and that thing can just chow down like on on, on uh, the poison that's supposed to kill it. And it's, 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 it's really bad. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not. And good. they're basically born pregnant, right? Like yeah, they, their generations just happen so fast. It's it's very difficult. If you if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. Look, I I wish I had some really great wisdom to uh, to spin you guys on this stuff, but. Really, it's all about prevention. There's a lot of ways to prevent it. There are not a lot of ways to get rid of it, whether you're talking about spider mites or powdery mildew. So really, it's about prevention, um, you know, uh, HEPA filters, um, filtration of any kind on your, on your, on your rooms. Um, neem oil works great. Organicide works great. But whatever, all your... Uh, uh, a spacesuit to walk in the room with. Uh, spraying on a biofilm is what I call it when you spray on a live uh, uh, film of uh, live beneficials will help compete at the lower level for the same space that a mold spore would but what I'd like to know from down here from the man who's got uh, you know uh, on a large scale what have you ever done to save that crop that you've already got it what can you do on that scale, there's nothing you can do. You've got to wow. scrop it and redo it. No, you're not a genius because <laughs> in some respect you are because you said the, the key is prevention. Yeah. So, so don't bring infected material in there. Control your humidity. Control your airflow. Figure out how this uh, powdery mildew, if you will, reproduces. Figure out how spider mites reproduce, you know? You said there's no way to kill these things. Well, trust me, if you put them in a vacuum chamber and you pull a vacuum, and you induce CO2 in there and leave it for two hours, that might will die. So, so there is ways to do this organically without spraying Eagle 20 and all the other things you mentioned because those will end up in your dabs, fellas. You know, even, even if you know, you're spraying them in minute amounts on stuff early in early stages of development. So better not to spray it at all. But, yeah. but, but I don't believe that I want to dab neem oil. I want to dab neem oil. So, or, or cinnamon oil, or rosemary oil, or any of those things. So, so, uh, I'm, so, under, so, so, so I'm under the impression that things like neem oil are, are metabolized early on, and basically they disappear. It's an oily, it's a oily film that you see on the outside of the plant. So, the plant takes a long time to turn. I'm, I'm, I'm earnestly questioning here for my benefit and everybody uh -huh. else's. So, but you're saying used uh, through veg. Uh, and maybe up through the first week of flowering, that doesn't give enough time for th compounds like these, to, organic compounds like these, to break down. 100%. Not, not an oil base, no. Hmm. 
So the important thing is... Yeah, that's, is a good, a, that's a good point. They would only be on the outside leaves. It wouldn't be on the flowers that you would be smoking. Even because they would continue to expand and grow. So if you'd done yeah. it... But you just said you sprayed this on two weeks into flower. I, I'm trying to push it up. You know, that's truly, no, no. truly. But, but, let, uh, but let's not push it. Let's not get it in the first place. Let's, right. let's put your absolutely. clones in a decontamination absolutely. chamber. Let's kill right. the bugs. The bu let, sure. let, let, let's kill the viruses or whatever is going absolutely. into the chamber before they get into the chamber. Mm -hmm. And that's absolutely. how you deal with a large-scale facility, whether you're growing a million-dollar orchid crop or poinsettias or any of these things. True. Trust I, I, me, large-scale cultivation happens every day. Right. I'm trying to relate your large scale knowledge down to a small scale piece of advice so that I'm trying to help to see if people can use these things in your estimation if they're safe or not because they don't they can't pull a negative vacuum they can only decide to use a certain preventative spray most kids today got a vacuum pump at home <laughs> So, and also, but how does that hook up to a grow room right. that has leaks or windows? Because or you get your vacuum chamber, put your clones in there, pull a vacuum on them, let it sit for two hours, and those bugs will die. What about when you're in the middle of, you know? Uh, let's uh, let's move on a little bit. Um, the bottom line is that if humidity levels are high, that's an invitation for mold. If heat is too high, that's an invitation for mites. Mites love a nice hot atmosphere and they reproduce quicker when it's hot so and that's important so there's ways to be preventative and then once things happen there's ways to deal with them uh, DJ yeah I do have uh, one pragmatic uh, preventative uh, piece of advice if you can grow outdoors in the high desert <laughs> seriously seriously powdery mildew uh, bugs they hate the desert <laughs> so that's the answer but rattlesnakes might come around. <laughs> so, um, Rick, let's talk a little bit about uh, the purchasing process, what a vendor would do, and, and what, what you put uh, a sample through in order to know whether you're going to accept it or not. Um, yeah, well, the, um, <laughs> here's a hypothetical sample. <laughs> Um, so the first thing that we'll do, yeah, no, I wish we could smoke everyone. We can't even come close. Um, first thing we'll do is put it through a visual analysis um, with something like a, a butane or, or a hash. It's usually pretty apparent on looking at it what its general quality level is. Uh, after an initial visual analysis, if it's something that we want to are interested further in, we'll use either a 60x handheld scope or a 200x. Uh, dynascope that hooks up to the computer that gives really nice resolution. Um, one of the cheapest, easiest things that people could buy that would make their life better when it comes to processing their flowers uh, is, is a, one of those $50 light-up magnifying lights that they sell at uh, Office Depot or any of those other places. And if you use that to do your trimming under, yeah, Radio Shack, a lot of places, if you use that to do your trimming under, you'll find any... Um, little pieces of stuff that need to be cut out, crow's feet, et cetera, et cetera. So doing a really tight trim on it uh, is, is a really good idea for the, the grower to start there. Um, after the basic visual analysis, we've got this awesome machine that Steep Hill Lab came up with called the Quanticam machine, which allows us to do THC and CBD and moisture content testing right there in the office. Uh, so about a gram sample, we'll take a gram sample out of a bag, 
grind that sample up, put it on the Quanacan, and about three minutes later, we get a result back that gives us THC, CBD, and moisture content. Um, and the way that works is it's a, a near-infrared uh, spectroscopy. I mispronounced that word, but in, uh, infrared photography, basically. Uh, and then that's connected to the database, the Steep Hills database that they've generated over the last four years of testing that's got tens of thousands of samples in it. Um, and then, so we get... Um, almost immediate THC, CBD, and, and moisture content results. Uh, that allows us to decide if something fits into the parameters of something we want potency-wise. Mm -hmm. um, also, we can give feedback to the grower on moisture content and you know, where they're at uh, during a dry process. So it's a, that tool has uh, been absolutely invaluable in, in allowing us to do a little more analysis uh, at point of, um, point of sale. Then after that, if we do intake something, it gets sent to the actually sent to the lab for a microbiological screening. Smoking. <laughs> um, unfortunately, Oakland doesn't let us smoke inside, so that has to wait till after work. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's a, it's a, a fairly quick process. Uh, the people that are doing it and myself have been doing it now for many years. And you can usually tell by the time a bag's open if it's something that we're actually going to want. Um, but sometimes things fool us too, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I've even seen uh, where Rick will put something under a microscope and put it up on a large screen TV. This is something you can do as well. The, the, uh, the cameras aren't that expensive, and you can put them up on the, on the TV screen, and you can go in and zoom in, and you can actually see not just mite carcasses, but actually their poops and stuff. Like, that's how close in you can get. And um, just as a, an example, uh, for people here, can you just give us an idea of what percentage of uh, bud or hash do you reject as compared to what you accept? Um, we probably reject close to 90%. Um, 90% rejection. Yeah, I mean, we're incredibly picky, and there's also just a lot of people in the cannabis industry nowadays, as I think everybody's pretty aware of. It's, uh, it's very competitive, um, and really, we, we, try to, we call it skimming the cream from the top. We try to take the the best of the best for our patients. Imagine if you rejected 90% of the weed you were offered, you'd never <laughs> get high. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's amazing to hear, but that's really important as well, because if there's 90% of that stuff being rejected, it's, it's making its way to the market in other places, exactly. one way or the other. <laughs> it, gets it goes somewhere. Uh, it's blasted into butane. <laughs> or it gets blasted. What, uh, I wanted to echo what both Kenny and Kyle and everybody was saying about prevention. I mean, one of the simplest things that y'all as growers can do is to buy uh, some kind of coverall suit. You know, you can buy various different uh, weights and thicknesses and material and, and a set of clogs or something. And if people actually exercise the discipline, it takes maybe about 30 seconds to a minute or something to zip a set of coveralls on and to kick off your street shoes and, and put a set of shoes on that you only wear into your space. Because that's we're one of the biggest, especially in an area like the Bay Area where powdery mildew and uh, is everywhere, is that we're one of the biggest vectors for contamination in our grow rooms. Is, you know, you know we're bringing things in there. And especially if we have friends that grow and they grow, you know, people going back and forth from room to room. So, you know, buy a, buy a cheap jumpsuit and a set of clogs and just actually Put it on every time you go in and out of the room. I always wear a jumpsuit when I go into the grow stores because it's like the hospital. I feel like I'm going to get sick because of all the growers there. <laughs> yeah, and they, yeah, I've, I've heard stories of contaminated soils in grow rooms or even the display plants that they have, the tomato plants being infected with mites. It's pretty scary. Um, let's see. 
<laughs> yeah, right. Um, let's see, I had something I was gonna add. <laughs> Just, <laughs> yeah. Hey guys, as always, Free Weed is brought to you by BC Northern Lights. Now, what do they do? They make a premier grow box, several different options, also with touchscreen controls, all kinds of state-of-the-art stuff. Everything's automated, everything is simple, and you can have Free Weed yourself at home with these grow boxes. They've got uh, deals for Free Weed listeners too. So if you mention the show, you mention Danny Danko, you mention Free Weed, you mention Mike Hughes, they charge you more. If you mention Mike <laughs> they Hughes. charge you more if you mention Mike Hughes, so yeah. don't do that. But mention the show, and you will get a hundred dollars off shipping, um, some free nutrients for six months, all kinds of deals that they have. BCNorthernLights.com and BC Northern Lights at eight 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 two three six twelve sixty six. Toll free. Get yourself a grow box and some seeds, and you'll never have to buy pot again. Call them. All right, let me ask Aaron about cloning. Aaron, uh, what's a what's a ideal way to root a clone? And w- when we say that, uh, for, for someone who's a beginner, one of the ways that you can grow plants that are identical in your grow room is to root uh, clones, which are pieces of a mother plant that you know is female, and you cut pieces off, and then you induce roots to come out of the end, the cut end, and they become an identical copy of that mother plant. You can do, with a mother plant this size, you could get 50 to 100 clones off of it and fill a room uh, with them, but you gotta get them to root, so how, how would you do that? And you gotta cut the plant right to, at Cut the size. plant right? Yeah, to get it nice. Well, to get it nice yeah. and bushy, right? So you basically, uh, let's say we've all grown our plant, it's three, mo- it's three months old, it's, it's a decent size. You can now take off uh, the top, you can take off some of the side tops and get a few cuttings off that plant. Uh, what I like to do is I let, I let them soak in water a little bit. After I take, I take the cuttings, I let them soak in the water, take more cuttings, and so on. Um, I'll peel the bottom leaf and the bottom uh, shoot off the plant, and I'll only leave three shoots, the very tip, the brand new, the brand new growth, the one below that, and then there's a, maybe a half an inch space between the next, and then the rest will just be stem, and I'll... Uh, Cut it at a 45 angle, and then I'll use, uh, you can use Clonex, you can use uh, Azos by our friends over at Extreme Gardening. Um, different uh, root hormones to get uh, roots. And I'd plug, I'd dip it in there, and I'd plug it in Rockwell. You know, I'm a beginner, I'd plug it in Rockwell. People grow in hydroponics, and some people could just go in dirt right away. Mm-hmm. But I would uh, definitely use, I'd use Rockwell. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would soak that Rockwell cube in a pH solution with a little bit of uh, whatever, a cap, not less than a cap of uh, Super Thrive or something, some B vitamin. Rockwell tends to be a low pH, so you raise it a little bit closer to yeah. even 6.5, 6.5. Okay. And, uh, and don't, don't, overfeed, don't like put too much food in your water if you're going to put food in there. Cause then so you're mild nutrient. Very mild, like... Moist environment. Very for the first 48 hours, I'd keep that dome locked up, or the room that you have uh, high humidity, so the plants don't wilt and fall over. 
give them a lot of light. I like the little, <laughs> uh, the little heat, the heater the underneath heat, the, the tray. Heat, the heat mat, but if you have a warm room, you could just get that tray off the ground with uh, maybe like a, you can go to your local gardening store and you can get these flats and you turn your flat over and there's a lot of air. It's just like a little bit of plastic. There's a mm -hmm. lot of airflow. Right. And uh, don't ever sit it on the ground bare, you know. It's too cold. The important thing is that room temperature is, is basically too cold to properly root a clone. So you've got to raise heat a bit and raise humidity a bit, opposed to just leaving it out on your windowsill or right. something. I actually have to rewind because I totally forgot another very good point is sometimes uh, when you take clones, you have, uh, you're doing a lot of clones. So you need to trim back the leaves a little bit so they don't just fall down and cover all the other plants or clones that you just took. So that's one way or you could just do every other cube on a tray and give your plants more space and leave a little bit more leaf to it. Nice. Shout out to Double Rainbow Guy. Yeah. <laughs> what does it mean? He's here. All right. <laughs> um, so Scott, let's talk a little bit about cloning, but also uh, seed germination. <laughs> seed germination. He's from Colorado, too. <laughs> Does that work? You broke it. You broke it, Aaron. Anyway, uh, seed germination, uh, you know, there's a million ways to do it. Probably the easiest uh, is the old school paper towel method, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Soak, soak the uh, seeds in some, uh, you know, filtered water that's our RO water. Um, that's basically, uh, you know, been uh, run through a filter. And, uh, you know, allow them to soak for like uh, 12 to 24 hours to begin with, and then you transfer them to a wet paper towel. Um, if you are heavy-handed and you can't handle a little seed after a sprout comes out of it, and you just, you know, you're off thumbs, uh, you know, rock wool is probably the best way to start them uh, because it's sterile, it's inert. You don't have to worry about anything that's going to be in the soil that, you know, might attack your little, uh, your little seed as it's germing. It stays moist. Yeah, it stays moist. Um, you know, these guys have been talking about prevention. You know, uh, seeds are great because when you start a seed, you're starting with fresh genetics that's not going to be carrying a bug or, you know, carrying a pathogen. Um, but you can, you know, you can, uh, you know, really easily not bring crap into your grow room just by quarantine. I mean, it's, it's really easy just to, like, set a closet up somewhere, you know, totally away from your grow and, uh, you know, ha have clones that have been quarantined in there. Hey, I just thought of a new slogan. If you love the weed, love the seed. <laughs> <laughs> Which brings us to a kind of a controversial subject, and I'm sure we'll have s some disagreement up here, but let's talk a little bit about uh, kind of a s phenomenon of the recent past of feminized seeds and autoflowering seeds. Uh, from a breeder's perspective, um, let's start uh, with the older school, with uh, DJ, and just talk about maybe what effect that has on the gene pool and, and why anyone would even uh, want to get involved with that. I don't know. I didn't do it. <laughs> well, it didn't exist, right? I, I'm not responsible. Well, no, we, we've known about it for a long time. The selfing thing well, goes all the way back to hermaphrodites, and yeah. supposedly if you use the pollen from a hermaphrodite on itself, you will make a copy of that, that mother plant. Um, no, I just have way too much work to do with regular forward filial crosses. Also, 
Um, I've never sampled anything that was feminized that stood out to me. As a matter of fact, it always seemed to be one rung lower than whatever strain it was coming from, say White Widow original and White Widow feminized. That feminized just seems to me to be a bit more bland and generic for some reason. I don't know, maybe it's because it's more commercially produced, um, but yeah, I... I uh, you didn't find the right pheno. Yeah, yeah, right. And then the whole concept of uh, people have trouble breeding with uh, the uh, feminized and autoflowering strains as well. Yeah, I mean, as far as breeding with an autoflower, I mean, I don't even know basically how you'd go about keeping an autoflowering plant to breed with. You know, you'd have to keep growing them out from seeds and, and breeding with them that way, right? Some do grow and some do produce. My, my first version of blueberry that was released, or it came into being 1980, 1981, it was an autoflowering variety. Um, and, and I was uh, marketing clones of that to coastal growers in Oregon and Northern California who loved it. It was pumping it out. And you, wouldn't, you couldn't tell by the clone. There were little flower sites on the clone, you know, maybe three leaflets if you were lucky, but you get it out early enough and, and it gets that summer sun and they tend to come out of that for a bit and they would produce. Now they were a bit more uh, leafy, uh, bushy, uh, now, what I didn't like about that variety is when I bred further with it, I liked the uh, non-autoflowering uh, variety much better. I didn't have as many problems with it, so I, I ended up incorporating that. Um, so, yeah. Right. But it's something that's really big in Europe, of course. We yes. know in Spain and all over Europe, it's getting big here, yeah? Okay. Um, yeah, and so, we should mention, you know, uh, feminized plants are plants that you grow from seed and they're guaranteed to be females because of the way that they're produced. There's no male genetics used well, and involved. Sort of guaranteed. Sort of guaranteed, <laughs> we should say. Nothing's in re ever really guaranteed. And autoflowering means no matter what amount of light they get, at a certain height, they begin to flower no matter what. So usually staying pretty, sh pretty short and stocky. Uh, a lot of people use that to get their plants finished early uh, before the helicopters and the rippers and the cops and everybody shows up. Uh, so it's something that they do. It's something, it makes growing easier. So the reason I think people in Spain love it is because they can plant a seed and they can walk away and they can come back in 90 days and harvest, you know, and that's kind of the simple sort of, I don't want to say lazy, but maybe I do want to say lazy. Yeah, okay, maybe that's the right word, lazy. It's a lazy way to grow, and as long as you're not breeding and you're just growing for something, maybe you're going to make hash out of it all. Uh, there's, I really see nothing wrong with it, but as far as the gene pool uh, is, is for the future, and uh, we want diversity in the gene pool, we don't want to pigeonhole it, and we don't want to you know, keep it from being as diverse as it could possibly be. So. Yeah, so basically what Danny's getting to is market demand, you know, like uh, if the market wasn't demanding feminized seeds, breeders wouldn't be producing them. I, right. I personally don't produce any feminized seed. We do all regular seed, um, you know, but there are certain places in the world, Spain, uh, Russia, um, a lot of the Czech Republic, you know, you come back even, you know, nowadays in, in, in a lot of places in the U.S. where it's still illegal or you're still held in by plant count. You know, people only want to grow plants that are going to be guaranteed to be a female. You know, why waste those 90 yeah, days, 100 I, days to grow a male? And I think that the old school philosophy on that is, like for myself, if I want all female plants, I'll grow clones. Yes, exactly. So, right. <laughs> And I think 
why feminized are popular is because of the clone only market that's out there. Mm-hmm. You know, you go on the forums, there's so many people that, you know, are banging out their cookies or banging out some sort of OG. And that's what, you know, Joe Schmo in Indiana wants or, you know, uh, uh, Kako in freaking Valencia or, you know, whatever, man. That's what they want. So, um, you know, it's, it's very easy to, uh, you know, get a really nice clone and, you know, crack out a few fem seeds. And Kay, I'd like to hear your take as well on that because, uh, yep. I can see why the market wants them. I mean, some people want to go to Home Depot, pick up just a little tomato plant, take it home, three months later, get their tomatoes. You know what I mean? But I see a lot of potential for, you know, uh, call it genetic bottlenecking, if you will. You know, if, if those people start using those seeds to intermingle with something from yours, then then the, all of it goes to crap. So I so I, I believe that it should be kept separate. I mean, the feminine should stay there and, and for that market, and those should never read with the other guy. And I, So I think there should be hypervigilance. I don't think there should be a genetic bottlenecking. I think there should be more diversity, if anything. All right. Uh, you got a take on it? You uh, sell feminine seeds, right? Yeah, we yeah, sell, you have to. We sell a shitload of them. <laughs> you, you don't have to, but... Uh, if you're a businessman, I'm a grower first, okay? And if, you, if I was going to run somewhere fast and I had to take some seeds with me, you best bet my ass I'm taking my regular seeds with me because I won't be able to necessarily do a feminized technique on that deserted island over there. But feminized seeds do have uh, a thing. A lot of growers don't have the time or the space to weed out the males. They don't have the space to grow that many plants to get the certain amount of plants they need at the very end. Um, Feminize help out a lot with, uh, yeah, plant count. You're a, you're a patient in, you're not a patient. You're a grower somewhere else in the world, and you can only grow six plants. Well, then you get six feminized seeds, and you get six female plants at the end of the day. And at, on the other side, being in the business of seed, not just a grower, <laughs> The market demand for feminized seeds is probably 90% of the sales for the entire world. And there are those, those small growers or those breeders or there's people who like to grow from regular seed. You know, I've, I've turned on my friends who say, I don't grow feminized seeds. And I'm like, well, why don't you just try? Because you come from this aspect, oh, they're very bad. You can't keep a mother. You can't do anything. Well, there's a lot of stories. You know, but then they realize they do it and they see, okay, I can grow from seed. I can make a mother, you know, and the weed is, is good, tasty. They grow it. They win cannabis cups with it in other countries, you know, and so it does. Feminine seed do have their purposes. They do mm-hmm. win cups. They're all good, you know, but it's a market demand. It, at the end of the day. Just, be, just, because, just because the market demands McDonald's sell billions of hamburgers every day, we'll all agree that it's not really a good thing. And I'm not here to say that feminized seeds are a bad thing. I just use that analogy to just say that, um, you know, uh, <laughs> the, my, only, my only problem is, like Kay was saying, is if you go and you're going to go and breed with these things. And the reason the whole world, I'm sorry, is so... F- fanatic about these things is because they're less cultured. They're less cultured in the cannabis form, at least. We've been very, very fortunate here. Things have gone very fast in the last 50 years here. And, and this is, you know, the epicenter of, of cannabis production and uh, 
let's call it guerrilla research, is obviously here in Northern California. So we're obviously more cultured on it, and that's why we're not so quick to buy all these feminized seeds, because I believe everybody wants to be a breeder one day, and even if it's just to create your own strain that you can call it, and you don't want to breed feminized seeds. Yeah, I think all, if not almost all of these guys probably would not choose to make a mother plant out of a feminized seed. So the bottom line really is if you want to grow out a crop quick and you want to make sure it's female and you don't really want to take the time to grow out regular seeds, pick out the female that you want to keep as a mother I'm plant. I'm sorry, one, one other thing. See, the, the thing is, is that the extra time and space that you need on a small scale really doesn't even play into it. Because if you're growing a garden the size of this table up here, okay, when you first start that garden, you don't need all this space because your plants are very small. So you can very easily fill the same space with twice the amount of plants, and then you're going to flower them when they get to the size they are anyways. So by the time they start to show sex is when you need to spread them out. So the fallacy that you need more space and more time, that doesn't play out either. Right, well, the point I'm making is that if you want to grow from seed and harvest in three months, and be done with that line, you can do that with the feminized plants. And if you want to grow clones, you should probably do that with a mother plant that you chose from regular seeds and that you selected out of a larger group as your mother plant that you keep alive in a vegetative state to take clones from. And that's the way I think that you're going to get the highest quality herb, the highest THC levels and all of that. And I think we can all agree on that. Certainly something that you could be proud to pass to a friend or share to a friend that you don't have to give a caveat and say, oh, by the way, this is a feminized clone. I don't think you want to breed this. And then one person doesn't tell it to the next person, doesn't, and then the next thing you know, the gene pool is all corrupted or, or weakened. But there's not that many people breeding. Most people that want a feminized seed, they want just a quick, easy plant in the backyard. They don't want a hassle. They'll never breed with it mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Aaron's a businessman. Give the people what they want. He says sure. he has 90% demand for There's certainly a seed. market for it. Give it to him because they just want the little plants in the backyard. They'll never breed. The people that want to breed, he makes those available too. They get regular so, seeds. It's so you say who's right? Both sides. <laughs> clones, but good to know that if seeds. you plan on breeding, you should definitely try to stick with, uh, you know, F1 hybrid seeds that, uh, you know, will have that hybrid vigor as well when you grow them out and use those as your mother plants, I believe. You know, that's what I would say. And for the people who don't want to breed and just want to grow a crop real simple and easy-like, you know, they, they, they play a role. And so I guess that's where we'll leave, it, where we'll leave that. Let's, uh, what do you guys want? What do you, you guys want to take some questions from the crowd? Let's do that. Is it, anybody got any questions in the crowd? I'll come out and... Uh, <laughs> it's like Oprah. <laughs> All right. Yes, sir. Hi. Thanks for uh, coming, guys. Uh, so your suggestion is do not keep a mother from a feminized seed, a uh, mother plant for, from feminized seed. So I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh, most of the OGs everybody likes, you know, they are, you know, there was only one original OG plant. 20 years ago, and it selfed itself, and those selfed itself, and that's why you've got the ghost and the San Fernando and the poison and the, you know, freaking Master Yoda and everything else, you know? So, 
you know, I, I'm not going to say that. You know, I'm not going to say don't keep a mom from a, a self-seed. You got to, like, look at that plant, see how stable it is, stress it with heat, stress it with, you know, bad growing technique, whatever. You know, find out if it freaking harms on you. If it doesn't harm on you, keep it, clone it, you know, love it. Hey everybody, sorry to interrupt. This is Danny Danko and you are listening to episode 41 of Free Weed. I'd like to tell you a little bit about one of our sponsors. It's Gorilla Seed Bank. These guys are in the UK. They carry a bunch of seeds. They ship worldwide. They've got Big Buddha, DNA Genetics, many of our our guests that we've had on the show, um, Sensi Seeds even, Joint Doctor, Greenhouse Seeds. They carry all those seeds. They ship worldwide. They've got feminized, autoflowering. If you're interested in that, they've got regular. They got them all, and we really appreciate their support. And they have a special deal actually going for free weed listeners. If you call them and you mention our show, you get a free five-pack of Big Bang 2 from Feminized Seeds while supplies last. Now, that's with a purchase, of course. But uh, if they run out, they said they're going to substitute a random five-pack from the same brand. And basically, you know, that's five free, free seeds from them while supplies last if you mention our show. So check them out. Definitely support our, our uh, sponsors, Gorilla Seed Bank uh, on Twitter. Follow them on Twitter. Uh, check them out there. They're on Facebook as facebook.com slash Gorilla Seeds. You can go directly to their website and check them out at G-O-R-I-L-L-A-Cannabis-Seeds.co.uk. And you can even call them 24 hours a day. Local call rates apply at 020-872-07323. Check them out. Thank you, Gorilla Seed Bank. Who else has a question here? Um, have you ever seen a feminized seed um, produced just like a, a seed that's not been feminized, just an organic one? Have you ever seen the same outcome? Has a feminized plant, feminized seeds come out with the, produces a male? No, no, produce the same quality, the same, uh, the same outcome of, uh, a, of a non... I've, I've seen feminized seeds come out better than the plant, their mother plant. I've seen versions of some of our varieties that come out better than what, we st- what we've started with, which is pretty cool. Yeah, we also, we recently had an article in High Times about comparing uh, regular and feminized plants. I think they did uh, AK-47 side by side, and there was really very little difference, you know, in the actual finished product. Um, very, very minute differences. So it's true that you can grow good bud, decent bud from the feminized seeds. Uh, as far as better quality than regular seeds, I've never seen that. <laughs> I've never seen that. All right, we have another similar question yields, right here. Similar yields. Hey, a question and a comment. The question was for Rick. I wondered about your moisture content, what the range is, uh, you know, for your perfect moisture content. And the comment uh, is kind of a question for everybody. Uh, we kind of need to work on maybe a, a, a wing of the Doomsday Seed Bank uh, for cannabis seeds, right? Is anybody yeah, working on that? That's a good one. I is, that, about that. is that Mike Boone? Yes, it is. From Weed Wars, Mike Boone. You guys know? 
Yeah, we got B.E. Smith as well in the crowd. That's a great idea about the Doomsday Seed Bank. I, 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 I totally agree with that. I mean, there's so many thousands of awesome cannabis strains have been lost over the decades to law enforcement, people retiring, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and so I think that's a phenomenal idea. I, I don't know how we go about <clears throat> making it happen exactly, but um, it's a great idea. Uh, Moisture-wise, 10, 11%, somewhere in that range, 9, 10, 11%. Um, below nine, eight, nine, it's, it starts to get uh, a little too dry, and above that, it's a little too moist. So somewhere right, right in that range, Mike. I've actually met two different people in the past six months, one in Denver and one based out of uh, uh, New Mexico that are actually working on uh, tissue culture banks, tissue culture storage, and trying to get lots and lots of people to contribute to their bank and just basically store all genetics that way. So there's two people with that in mind. How they're trying to organize and how they're trying to go about it is pretty fascinating. So yeah, there's people thinking along those lines. All yeah. right. You good? Another question? Yeah, please. All right. Chris Conrad. Yeah, guys, thanks. Hemp this is a really good panel. I've really enjoyed warrior. it a lot, so I give these guys a hand. Uh, but, uh, Hemp hero, Chris <laughs> Conrad. So um, a, a couple of things. One is that uh, if somebody wants to start a little grow in their home uh, with a bedroom or something like that, what do you suggest in terms of capping the electrical draw? I mean, how many lamps or whatever might somebody do and, and feel fairly safe without having to rewire the place? And the second question is, uh, have you heard of the sun tubes? that you can use to redirect light. Uh, I'm interested in that, uh, and I'm interested in something somebody told me that it changes the light color and you have to uh, then add more warm light into the room or something to make that work. Uh, and so I'd love to hear your response to either of those. Well, um, I've done quite a bit of uh, gorilla growing, running around, setting up small grows in personal homes and um, in legal states and long time ago in illegal states. Um, I think that um, aside from the law aspect, just from the safety aspect, I think that uh, in your average home, two, three, or even 4,000 watt lights really can be plugged in without really overstressing your average circuit board. Um, you, may run a, you, you may need to run an extension cord or two which is, is, is not really very dangerous as long as you keep it up and away from water, you tack it to the wall and things like that. So really just from a safety standpoint, I think um, four lights is reasonable to, for just a home grow if you want to put it in your garage or in a bedroom or something like that. Definitely don't run more than two 1,000 watt lights on one 15 amp circuit because they're not, you, def, you don't want to make that mistake. One. Something that you can do know. two 600s on a 15 amp. It's pretty tight, but not two 1000s. So you either get higher amperature, you know, circuit breakers, or use different circuit breakers, Cir different circuits. People should also really look out not just what the board is, but to make sure that their house has been wired with modern, like Romex style wiring. I, I've I've gone into older houses in the. Bay Area and seen stuff even going back to old knob and tube wiring and sometimes it's not the whole run that's got the old electricity in it but a piece or a part of it that's still tied in so it's really good to have your electrical system vetted by somebody professional before you start hooking up any significant amount of, of lights to it because it can be pretty scary. Kay, do you want to add something? Kay. 
I can't encourage you high, highly enough to go to a licensed electrician and have the job done professionally. We have too many house fires in this state or other states for that fact based upon grow rooms and it's given the whole industry a bad, bad name. Get a license. There's many. Go to uh, Oaksterdam University. They've got licensed contractors there that have their cards out there that would love to work with you, that would just come check out your facility. Every house is different. The gauge of the wire, the, the, the age of the, uh, the whole electrical system, every house is different. So have a licensed contractor come do the job. Yeah, and one other thing, too, is um, uh, electricity, correct me if I'm wrong here, it, it has problems where there's resistance in the line, where, like where it plugs in uh, and you're, you're going in and out or where the wires hook into the box. And what you can do, a little simple thing at home, is feel if it's hot. Where you're plugging in, is the wall getting really hot? If it is, you've got a problem, all right? So something to look for. Look for the heat. The light tubes, oh, the, yeah, I, and those are the, the solar babies, I think they call them, they're the sun ones. I'm curious, I haven't used them myself, but I think they would be, you know, phenomenal to use. Uh, I remember seeing something about 20, 30 years ago, the Japanese were working with fiber optics and lighting, and they were doing these uh, high-rises in Tokyo, where the collectors up on the roof, and we're talking, you know, a, a foot-thick fiber optic that runs down in the office building, and they were growing tomatoes to full fruit. And I just mentioned to Rick here, I thought years ago about this, if you go to the desert, you know, someplace where you have a lot of sunshine and grow underground, you don't need electricity with that situation. Your temperatures are cool because once you're in the ground, you're at a constant 55. So something to think about. I, but I do think that those uh, tubes, those solar tubes are a, a fantastic idea. I'd love to, anybody ever grown with them? Good luck. Because you get right in a closet, you could have it right there in your closet. You can put a timer on them, on, on and off, so. So you're using sunlight and bending it down somehow. Straight ones? Okay. Um, the one thing I would add too is what he said about uh, the wiring and the uh, problems with the wiring that happen along the way. It's the same with your exhaust tubing. If you have a bunch of bends in your tubing, every one of those bends is reducing the, the power of your fans as well. So every time your tubing bends, Consider that a reduction in the strength of your exhaust. So 350 cubic feet per minute becomes 300 cubic feet per minute, and so on and so forth. So try to keep all your tubing straight as much as possible. All right, we have another question right here. Um, yeah, just across the board for all of you guys that grow, I was wondering uh, what nutrients, nutrients you guys use. And a second after like experimenting uh, and your joke about the GH, the salt smell, um, I, I had dialed it down kind of a mix. I'm using the GH Advanced Drainer Waste and then the Voodoo Juice from, a, um, a, a, you know, in there, and then the big, the big uh, ups by the Humboldt. So the second question is, like, is it okay to, like, if I'm happy with the product, can I be mixing? Because all the companies should say, oh, you should use the full line and you get a better. That's to keep your business. The company's in the job of selling you product. You just said that you're happy with what you're producing. That pretty much says it all right there, yeah? Uh, one other thing I've, you know, from way back in the past, if you're using two separate products, let's just say for nitrogen, all right, if you're using two things, then you've got to go to half of each. All right, I like, I prefer a quarter strength. I always start at quarter strength with newts, um, and I'm not a big fan of newts. My outdoors, I've been uh, growing with nothing, soil, sunlight, air, and water, 
and uh, having to keep them low for security reasons, getting a pound and a half regardless, uh, I could get three pounds easily, and that's with nothing, and the flavor from that plant is the flavor from that plant. Outdoor weed tastes really good, especially when you just use water and good hot fertilizer soil. It's really good. Um, we're fortunate enough to work with uh, quite a few bit of hydroponic companies. We've worked with Advanced Hydroponics. Uh, right now, we're currently working with two um, Mills, Mills uh, Nutrients. Uh, Mills pays the bills. And uh, we also work with a, a new upcoming, uh, it's a powder company. It's called Veg Plus, Grow, Veg Plus Bloom. It's a one-part dealio. Uh, it's, it's a powder nutrient. It's fully water-soluble. Uh, I've been thoroughly impressed. I've been testing it now for a little bit of time. And yeah, I'm happy. It's a very easy product to use. Does it contain MAP and DAP? Up and DAP? MAP and DAP. MAP and DAP. I Monoammonium phosphate and diammonium phosphate. I'll check when I get home. You should you. do that. I'll call you. Okay. This gives you a good chance to talk a little bit about veganic growing. Um, first, I did want to say, you know, I'm notorious for mixing up uh, using products that I like from all different kinds of lines. That's how I really became really familiar with, with using nutrients and feeling like I could even attempt to make my own. Um, I am in the process of, uh, we're, we're pretty much done. We're in the marketing phase of it right now, our vegan matrix, veganic nutrients. And I've been growing veganically for Oh, I guess going on about three years now, and um, it's just another style of, it's short for vegan organic, um, and... That's they're, meaning they're, they're, no animal products. No, no animal products. No slaughterhouse products, which is bone meal, blood meal, things, no, things of that nature. Right. And no guanos, which mm, is poop. Take the poop out your pot. <laughs> another, one of, another one of my great slogans. Um, <clears throat> So yeah, that. no, you were talking about veganics. Uh, basically, it's a process of less is more. A lot of kelp oh. and a lot of uh, beneficial right. bacteria and a lot of right. it's, compost it, tea. Basically, the, the primary nutrition comes from uh, fermented grain and soy solubles, uh, kelp, Ascophyllum notusum. Oh, what I did want to say also is about mixing, it's really easy to read the derived from label on anything that you're using and just be really cautious about anything that has the same ingredient because you don't want to double up. Obviously, if you're adding things that are, are you know, that you know are complementary and it's a different ingredient, there's a good, better chance that they're going to complement each other. You just don't want to double up. Um, so, uh, and I went and forgot what I was saying again. <laughs> <laughs> These guys were doing dabs before this or something. Well, we got time for one more question here, so let's jump to that. Uh, yeah, that, that was kind of my question about uh, organic teas. Teas seem to be really popular nowadays, and um, I just wanted to see if you guys wanted to comment about that. Yeah, teas and beneficial microbes, uh, enzymatic products, uh, microbial teas, both brewed, powdered, and soluble, are really the key to growing veganically. I, I call it supercharging your soil, and it what, it's what makes you able to grow with a really low nutritive value, value nutrient, and it allows you to feed every time you water. So it makes it very simple because you don't have to wonder, is it time to flush, is it time to do this? You just feed up until ripening time, you do a half week at full strength, and then you flush for your week, uh, week to 12, week one to two weeks, and you're all good to go. Yeah, and kind of going back to him, I use OGT for all my organics. Uh, it's, it's, it's a veganic, basically based. 
uh, rock phosphate, kelp, a bunch of microbes. And all my uh, hydro stuff I do, um, which is a lot of the commercial uh, big facilities that we run, uh, advanced nutrients. So. And I think uh, the key to the teas as well is to oxygenate them overnight, 24 hours, with air stones. Very simple. You can purchase them at a, any fish supply, pet supply shop. But the oxygenation process takes those millions of beneficial bacteria and turns them into billions. And then you've got to use it soon after that too. It's not, doesn't store very well, but once it's oxygenated properly overnight, use it immediately. You can use it as a foliar feed. You can use it as a soil drench. It's a wonderful, very mild nutrient that you can use that will really, it's, very, it's almost impossible to burn your plants with a well-made oxygenated compost yeah, tea. Yeah, beneficial microbes basically can't be overused. You can just waste, you'll waste your product. Um, and they provide kind of a, almost a second immune system for your plants, or they build up the plant's immune system that it has. But it actually is a secondary immune system if you think that by spraying something on the exterior of the leaves or the roots, it can protect pathogens from getting in. So it's kind of a secondary immune system as well. Uh, I've been feeding nothing but pure Vega Matrix for the last two years, refining it, perfecting it so that I can bring it to the masses. And what about adding things like molasses for the microbes to eat or any of that? Is that to borrow someone else's uh, slogan, it's all in there. It's all in there. The OGT provides the molasses and the foods for the microbes. Um, the Vega Matrix contains humic and acid complexes as well as vitamins, all the essential aminos. Uh, it's got um, surfactants in yucca, skidigera. Um, it's completely water-soluble, um, three-par to grow a bloom and a boost with an additional micronutrient supplement that you can add. Certain, certain plants like a little more micronutrients. And it's real simple. When I, when I get to the meat and potatoes part, really there's not even any, uh, it's pH perfect. It always comes out around 6'2", 6'3", 6'4". So uh, for four weeks, five weeks of flowering, you don't even have to do any pHing. Right on. Well, I want to say thank you guys very much. We're going to go through some shout-outs. Uh, DNAgenetics.com. Thank you, guys. Thank you. SNAgenetics.com, Scott and Aaron. <laughs> no. DNAgenetics.com, celebrating 10 years in the seed breeding business and in the cup winning business. So shout-out to Aaron and, and Don. Don's out with the family, so big ups, you know, and the and our army out here. Yeah, good luck on, on everything, on another uh, 100 it, years of, of breeding and yeah, if we can improving that, the genes. If we can go that far. Awesome. You know, well, congrats we on 10 great years. You've won a ton of contests. And I want to say thanks to these guys. You know, they're, they're great panelists. Awesome. Too. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, is that whole uh, limited line sold out yet? Is that, what, is that done? You got another limited line coming out? All right. All right, 2014, keep in touch at dnagenetics.com. Scott, raredankness.com. Thanks, guys. Scott, congratulations on your wins. Thank you for, thank you, thank you. for being here. KyleCushman.com. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> KyleCushman.com. KyleCushman.com. There's uh, interactive stuff on there. You can go on there and ask Kyle questions. You can uh, be a part of the whole community there. It's really cool. So check that out. You can learn about veganics. You can 
If you have follow-up questions, you can ask them directly to him. Next week, we're, we, right now we have a really good forum that's growing. Thanks, everybody, for participating. Um, you can sign up for free. And next week, we're having our first live chat where people are going to send in questions, and I'm going to answer questions live uh, via voice on the Internet. We're going to do that for a couple hours live every week and see how that comes out. Nice. Nice. Rick Frommer, HarborsideHealthCenter.com. Uh, Harborside is an absolute model as to how to run a dispensary, a wellness center. Uh, free acupuncture, free yoga, free counseling, all kinds of wonderful benefits to the patients. Uh, like he said, they're only accepting 10% of the herb and hash that they even get. So uh, you know you're going to get a quality product and you know you're going to get it in a comfortable atmosphere from intelligent people. So thank you, Rick, for being a part of this. Let people know. Also, you know what? Also, let people know about what's going on with Harborside's legal battles as well. Sure. Um, yeah, I'll get to the legal thing in one minute. Thank you, Danny, and everybody on the panel. It's always a pleasure to be with these legends of the industry. Um, uh, Harborside's uh, legal battle right now, we are going to be going to court about a year from now. We're in the process of figuring out exactly when the court date's going to be with, in conjunction with the, the feds. Um, so basically, we are, we're, we're taking them where they're taking us, or we're going all the way through to trial on this issue of the federal government trying to forfeit our property. Uh, it's going to be a Bay Area jury, um, San Francisco specifically. And the wonderful thing about this case is that because it's in the civil realm as opposed to the criminal realm, we will be allowed to introduce uh, testimony about medical cannabis. Whereas, yeah, Excellent. that's huge. So it, it'll be the first time in any of these federal f uh, farces that they've put us all through and our community through for so long that we'll actually be able to get tell our side and all of our stories from this side as to why we do this important work. Um, Harborside, so that's, yeah, so our hopes and prayers and, and uh, support uh, are, are needed for sure. Harborside's just about to also launch a new website, should be out in the next month or so, that's going to have like video blogging and other blogging and all kinds of new features and exciting stuff on it, so check that out. Um, yeah, thanks again, Danny. Thank you, Rick. Uh, I grew his strains long before I even knew the man, and uh, I'm just honored that uh, he would be up here uh, teaching us a little bit about how he does his thing. So thank you so much to DJ Short. Thank you. Any way that people can uh, hear more from you? Yeah, sure. Um, email djshortseeds at yahoo.com. Um, I have a help desk on icmag.com. We do have a booth here, A10, uh, there's all kinds of meds, clone seeds. Um, I also plan to be doing these, these gigs a bit more. Um, Hempfest in Seattle in August. I'll be in Michigan next month. Uh, Oma Medicine and G3C in Flint. Look up the G3C, the Genesee County Compassion Club. That to me is the absolute greatest model for uh, moving medicine. Um, and then uh, August, uh, Seattle Hempfest and Burning Man and uh, who knows from there. Awesome. Thank you so much. Welcome. Thank you. And Kay from Tricome Technologies, thank you again for appearing here and uh, sharing your knowledge. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for my fellow panelists, and thank you very much for your time. All right. Wu-Tang Clan coming up next. <laughs> Stick around. Raekwon, Ghostface, and the Jizza. See me, I say, boom, bang. Me, 
Everybody, it's your boy Chris James. Come out to Dab City, Colorado, and book your tour special event today. Check them out at MaryJaneEntertainment.com. Sign up today and win a private party with the Dab Girls and me, Chris James. Come dab with me in the Mary Jane party bus. All right, I hope you guys enjoyed that panel and episode. That was a good 41. one. I yeah. like that one. Yeah, it was robust. I feel like I learned some stuff. (laughs) You should always learn something. Yeah. And if you'd like to learn something, uh, Dan, tell them where we're going to be. We are going to be in Seattle for our second Cannabis Cup in Seattle. MedCanCup.com is where there's more info and tickets. And I'm really excited because we have an amazing concert that we're putting together that you're a major part of putting together. Uh, A huge venue, the Wamu uh, theater, yeah, the Wamu Theater in wow. Seattle. It's sort of part of the uh, the football stadium. Uh, you know, I guess you would say that it's like an it's it's like a, a large complex, and this is one of the theaters. It seats seventy two hundred people. Wow, going to be a huge show for us, yeah. and uh, we're excited with the musical guests. You want to tell them who? Yeah, well, our old friend Redman is performing, and who our... killed it in Los Angeles. Oh, he was yeah. great, uh, incredible, incredible live performer, incredible hip hop artist, and incredible. Uh, marijuana advocate and he's, he's actually, enthusiastic yeah and he's actually opening for slightly stupid which we're very excited about they uh they played out in red rocks uh at the denver cup and, did you catch you know, that show oh yeah it was good right yeah, they're they're always good yeah. i mean i've been seeing them for years and they pull up yeah. in that van with all the smoke pouring <laughs> out of it. it's very cool so yeah, we'll see uh, very we stoner friendly tunes from those guys and they've they've judged cups with us in amsterdam and you know they know their their weed and their dabs and you know they're big time stoners those guys and we have a lot of fun with uh with that whole group you know in particular we've we've even had uh, a guest from from the group uh, C Money show. was C one of Money. our first yeah. uh, guests, uh, maybe yeah. our first guest ever. One of on one, show. either the first or second show, I would imagine, would yeah. have been with C Money, and uh, he's the trumpet player, and uh, Kyle's and Miles, uh, Kyle and Miles, and yeah. Our managing um, so editor Jen Bernstein and I actually got to interview uh, Kyle and Miles at Red Rocks on 420, which was insanely cool. I is mean, that on a Jen's music stash? Yes, it is, actually. Cool. It is on a Jen's Music Stash, and it's also in the magazine, and I think on the website as well. Um, nice. So, yeah. Okay. So, here's the thing. These these U.S. cups, uh, medical or otherwise, are awesome, but this whole thing started in Amsterdam 26 years ago, and this November, we're going back to Amsterdam for the Cannabis Cup, and we're very excited yeah. about it. You should be, too. It's going to be great, and p- anybody who says, you know... Uh, they're not going back or there's no c- cannabis cup in Amsterdam. We are there full force. We are going to have shows every night. It's going to be really fun. And, and you know, just because we have these cups back here, you can't experience the coffee shop scene h- here. You know, you still, that idea of going in and sitting down and ordering off a menu, having a cup of tea or, or a coffee or a toasty. It's like ro- nothing else. It's like nothing else. You know, rolling up a joint and smoking it, you know, in the, in the um, you know outdoor seating at the greenhouse in the red light uh, district area right there where you can just people watch all day, it's there's nothing like it and you don't experience that really in the states at all like the the being just treated like a customer 
you know, and not a criminal yeah, kind we of were, aspect. We were fortunate enough to visit a bunch of coffee shops when we were over in Amsterdam in May. Yes. And uh, it's just, it really is an experience that if you haven't, if you haven't uh, experienced it, you've mm. got to go try it. It's really cool. Yeah, and certainly a stoner mecca. It is know. indeed. And if you'd like to check out one of the videos from that trip that Dan and I took over there, uh, you can check that out on hightimes.com. Yep. It's like a series of videos we're doing with the, the seed companies in Amsterdam. And the first one is with DNA. So it was a yeah. lot of fun to talk to Don from uh, DNA Genetics. Mm-hmm. And some of those are going to actually, some of those videos are going to reveal uh, secrets of the seed industry that pretty much people haven't seen before and don't really know, you know, some behind the scenes stuff. So I'm excited as we roll out uh, a bunch of those videos and all of that is promo for the Amsterdam Cup, which is going to be incredible. It's in November. And if you want more information, go to CannabisCup.com on that. And I will be in Seattle Hempfest later this month. Uh, you might even be listening to this podcast right before that. So And so uh, what are the dates for uh, for Hempfest? Hempfest is three days this year. It's August 16th, 17th, and 18th. So Friday, Saturday, and Sunday right there in the middle of August in beautiful Seattle. And I know that they also need help with volunteers. They need help with uh, people donating money because that's a huge, huge endeavor. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people over three days in that park you know and please don't don't put tags and or stickers up on on uh that property because they're just going to have to pay to clean that stuff off anyway so and that of course is a former high times lifetime achievement award winner vivian mcpeaks festival yeah vivian works so incredibly hard and he also has just an army of volunteers that work really hard uh, because they want that event to be a success. And it's it's the biggest pot rally in the world that I know of, you know, and it goes on uh, right there peacefully, right in the middle of town along the waterfront. And, you know, a great event and great thing to be a part of. This is my third Seattle Hempfest, I believe. So uh, I'm excited to be out there. There's a bunch of people, a bunch of booths, uh, totally free event, open to the public. So come check it out. Do that indeed. Also check out the medcancup.com, cannabiscup.com, hightimes.com, all those dot-coms. We neglected to say uh, we are wrapping it up with Raw. Wrapping it up with Raw as we always do, uh, as I only do, really. I travel with Raw papers pretty much everywhere I go just to ensure uh, that I have, you know, papers that I like wherever I might be. Uh, And that's... You know, that's just the honest truth. That's how I roll. Anyone who knows me knows I roll with Raws uh, exclusively. Real talk, as the kids say. Real talk. Mm-hmm. You got anything else? Uh, yeah, just come say hi in Seattle. Uh, hopefully I'll have some stickers or something, some kind of giveaway stuff. Some and candy, maybe? Yeah. Just give people candy, candy? out of your pockets. Hmm. Maybe, I don't know about Maybe, like, nice and warm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like definitely say hi. Uh, you know, let me know if you listen to the podcast. I really enjoy uh, meeting listeners and, and hearing about, you know, the things that they're doing when they're listening, whether it be like trimming a harvest or driving to work or, you know, there's really cool emails we've been getting. We'll read those off on a future episode. Yeah. Next uh, episode, we're going to do an extra long Q&A uh, segment. We know that you've been writing us. We appreciate it. And we will get those questions answered. So yes. hang in there. Yes. Thank you. And uh, yeah, that's episode 41. Boom, bop. Big respects.